I really strongly believe that small business has a great opportunity to fix a lot of the problems that we see in society, whether it's financial contributions, helping serving your community, et cetera. But we, as a small business, you learn how to organize, you learn how to lead, you all these things. How can you bring that to your community? Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla. Today, I'm talking to the wolf, to the Krosky. My man, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it. Yeah, stoked to jam. So, Wolf, we've known each other for some time now. You have a reputation for being a process wizard, process expert in the industry. You're also an, a small business guy. Obviously, property management is small business, but there's other small business outside of that. You're a family guy. You're a community guy. I want to hear a little bit more about your background in the industry and what your journey has looked like. You know, you're thinking 10 years ago versus you're thinking now, how have you evolved as an operator? I think becoming an operator and that mindset and not just being a real estate person or wanting to see your name and your face over, you know, all the ads and really wanting to develop a team. And I think that was the biggest, uh, aha for me was realizing not just I can't do it all, but trying to spin all the plates on sales because our family does the brokerage side as well. And then maintenance and just wanting to be the center of knowledge and realizing it's not healthy, it's not sustainable. And quite frankly, it's keeping the company at a certain level, trying to be the center. Um, that was a huge, huge aha for me. And that all happened. Aha happened at a uh, broker owner a couple years ago before you know COVID and realizing I don't want to be the smartest person on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, very DIY, and why pay somebody to do something you can do yourself and had learned that and has always, that's been part of me and trying to push back on that and realizing it's okay to have people. It's okay to have people that help you with your processes, it's okay to have people do things so that you can do better things. Mm-hmm. And that that was a huge moment for me, you know? So thinking back 10 years ago, I was really involved with Rotary, Chamber, family, real estate, and trying to do it all myself. Mm-hmm. And I, when I work with small businesses, that's, that's the e-myth, right? You're trying to do everything yourself and realizing that it's really holding the company back. You're not saving money. You're not saving time. The only way to fix that is to get great people on your team and help them be able to do what they do best. What's interesting about systems and processes is it can either be an extension of the control and micromanagement, or it can be geared towards enablement and empowerment of other people. Where were you at on that that nexus and spectrum when you got into it? Uh, definitely on the micromanagement side. I had every task, okay, stop, let's check in before we do the next task. Putting myself in every single process mm-hmm. as kind of a final check, mm-hmm. making sure it's done right, uh, making sure that it was done the way I wanted it, and that 
process was all about the way Wolf wanted it done when really it's what's the outcome we want. Mm-hmm. And so now I don't think I'm in many of our processes as a, a role or even as a couple of steps. So not being part of that, not having as many um, safety gates, you know, stops to like, let's check in, things like that. And so it's really about how can this tech, how can this process help that person, help them and not do it Wolf's way. You know, people ask, well, hey, Wolf, can I get a copy of your processes? I'm like, no. Well, I'll pay you. I said, it's not about the money. It's I'll help you build how you should and want to do things. And I think for business owners, that's a huge, huge struggle because they've never thought about, well, how do I want to do things in my business? Mm -hmm. They're just, I've never really thought about it. I want to make money as a business or Mm -hmm. I want to provide great service, but I've never really thought about, well, what what is the process? What is the journey? And so when you ask them that, they stop because they don't know. They never spent time to think about it. Location versus augmentation is the term I like to use to describe that. Location is where are we? What's happening? Augmentation is changing things. People default to assuming and wanting to make changes while not having a great comprehension of what's actually happening right now. What's the baseline? If the baseline could get just 5% better, well, is the juice worth the squeeze making the change? And if we don't know what the baseline is, then how are we going to improve it? How are we going to make it any different? What I find interesting sitting on the technology side of this conversation is the technology gets brought into the conversation as if it is the answer. Obviously, it's it's a piece of the equation. It matters. The vendor you're working with matters. But what I know and what I believe deeply in my heart is that the real work that you have to do in order to get value from the tech is abstracted from the tech. It's looking your processes globally. Walk me through that process. If you were speaking to a group of operators that they got the tech piece, that's interesting, mm-hmm. and they're they're ready to sign up, et cetera, but maybe they haven't fully calibrated or it's an unknown of what the investment from them and their staff is going to be, how would you coach in kind of describing the steps, the timeline, and that whole process? Yeah. So I think the first thing is we need to do a brain dump because most times the processes that they have are stuck in somebody's head. You know, very rarely does somebody say, yeah, here's, here's a binder of all our SOPs and every step is there, et cetera. I've yet to see that. So, okay, let's do a brain dump, literally 11 by 17 white paper. And let's just, let's draw out a process. What is the journey you want to take a customer through from beginning to end and just put all those steps. And there's going to be gaps. There's going to be things that they didn't think about, conditional logic that will come into play, but let's just do that brain dump. And then from there, let's start documenting. So, okay, this part, let's say you have a lease renewal and you want to ask the owners, do they want to sell this property? What does that look like? What do you want to do by an email, a text message, phone call? There's no right or wrong answer. Just what do you want? And, you know, and that time commitment really, you know, it's, could be a couple months, really. Mm-hmm. If you've never really built it out, because it's there's building it out, and then there's, well, let's run it and see, do we have any bugs? Are there any issues? Mm-hmm. Flush it out. That takes time. Mm-hmm. And if you're working on a process that maybe only happens once in a while, mm-hmm. it's, it's harder. Mm-hmm. So starting with a process that, you know, this happens every month, late rent, lease renewals, whatever. Now we can we can test it. We can flush it out. And the most important thing is, bring in your team members to help document that process because they probably know it better than you as an operator. They're actually in it and they can say, hey, you know, 
I know we're supposed to do it this way, but really it'd be a lot easier if we did it this way. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to take that input. Now, what I'm articulating is that there's a ton of value in that exercise, even if you didn't bring in any technology. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, just document it. If you, if you want to formally type it up in a Word document or have charts, you want to put in Lucid chart, whatever, that's fine. I don't know if that's necessarily a, a secret to success. Sure. But documenting it in some fashion so that it's outside of your head. So we can have a conversation about it. Yeah. We can look for holes, you know, like, hey, seems like something should be happening between this step and that step. Mm -hmm. What happens? And the person usually that has an answer is the person that's actually doing that work. Mm -hmm. So bringing them in, you know, I've helped mm -hmm. people implement tech and you have the operator that's like, oh yeah, we're going to, let's do this, da, 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 da. And then, okay, go do it. Mm -hmm. Next week when we meet, let's talk about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know, Wolf, it didn't go well. And so that leads to the next piece is how do you lead a change initiative in your company? Mm. Because if you've never had processes, let's say documented processes, that's not just a thing, that's a cultural change in your company. And some people will be intimidated by it, some will feel threatened, some are going to be excited. So as the operator of your company, how do you lead your team through that change? One common entry point with people wanting to have the tech conversation is a staff departure. Mm -hmm. A key staff member leaves, and all of a sudden you realize how exposed you are. Yeah. Because you don't quite know how that person does the job, even if you did it at one time. It's been a while. Process has shifted, and you feel vulnerable, and you feel naked. So you want to jump into the tech. But if you, don't, if you didn't do the pre-work that you just described, which is the reason you're feeling this way, you're not going to get the yield from the tech. When you interact with folks that have, uh, where there's a, a staff departure, or let's say for yourself right now, how vulnerable do you feel to a staff departure? What would be the most painful departure and what would you do if, if a key person left, given that you've leaned really far into this whole paradigm? So I think for us, if I were to think right now, if one of the team members left, it would be our leasing agent, right? Because we don't do self-showings. We have our reasons for that. So we still have somebody meeting people at the properties and showing it. And if they decided I'm leaving, it's not as easy as just, well, let's go hire some other sucker to go show properties. There's a cultural fit that we have. There's a certain um, demeanor that we want. And there's processes that we already have in place on how to show a property, how to follow up, et cetera. They leave, we have to go through this whole hiring process. Luckily, we've documented the process part. Like these are the steps that we want. So that work's been done. But if you've not done that, that's a major component to property management is getting people into the units. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do it yourself now? Are mm -hmm. you going to give up your Saturday showing properties? Or are you going to take that? Well, I'll just do self-showings. So if you don't have processes in place for showing properties and your solution is, well, I'm just going to get these cool lock boxes. People can punch in the code, let them in. You're in trouble. because So what's your process to make sure that the keys back in place? What's your process to deal with a scammer that's trying to get access? Or worst case scenario, somebody is now squatting in the property. What's your process? Because mm -hmm. you're responsible to that owner. They put their trust in you and they're dependent upon you to keep that asset, you know, safe and you don't have any processes. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think it's, it's crucial to, I think a lot of people use tech as a scapegoat. Mm -hmm. They don't want to 
talk about the real issue of, yeah, we don't really have our processes squared away. And I've been there. I don't want to come across as like born yep. process guru. Everything's been smooth. Part of the reason why I'm passionate about process is I've, I've felt some of those pains, mm -hmm. some pretty heavy pains of something got screwed up and now we have to deal with it. We have to pay that price. And for me, it's how can I help somebody else not go through that? How can we help them build processes now to avoid major snafus? But the problem is it, it's, it's like losing weight. Everybody wants to lose weight, but nobody wants to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. There's no magic pill. You, you got to document your processes and go through that conversation. Do you think that more folks that get into that conversation are driven by a labor savings goal, by a error reduction goal, or by a quality of life experiential goal or something else altogether? I think profitability would be one is like, well, I've heard if I bring in tech and have processes, I'll need less people. Maybe I can manage more doors with the same amount. It's, you know, profitability drives it had lunch with some gentlemen today and we were talking about quality of life because they said, we want to, our goal is to reach a certain amount of dollars in revenue per year. And I said, okay, well, how many hours a week do you want to work to get that? And he said, well, I, actually, I want to be like 10 to 20. Okay, well, what are your processes? Well, that's what we're working on. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I would say profitability, quality of life are probably those two main drivers. Mm-hmm living in this uh, constant state of chaos where everything's on fire, you're spinning multiple plates, may be exciting, but after a while it's pretty draining, right? You know, if you like that, yeah, I'm always, we're always going, you can't live that way 24 seven. Mm -hmm. So I think having your processes in place and building out systems and using tech that's gonna enforce your processes and more importantly, your policies mm -hmm. is gonna help you have calmness. What's one process that's like most emblematic of the leverage that you're getting through this process, automation technology? Probably uh, late rent delinquency and lease renewals because so much of that really doesn't need a human to do it. Mm -hmm. You're mostly communicating and passing along communication. So if I can capture that information and pass it on to the next party, that's what we need to do. You know, in California, there's pretty stringent requirements around collecting a debt and then taking that next step into eviction. So making sure I's are dotted, T's are crossed. And I don't just mean that figuratively, literally, you misspell the street address that could throw out the whole eviction case. And so cutting down human error is critical. Mm. Um, having consistency. You know, we have the best intentions of starting the late rent process on the same day every month. Mm. But, you know... Life gets busy. We had this work order. We had you know, all these things that distract. We meant to it. We'll get to it on Monday. Now you can guarantee an owner, yes, the fourth of every single month, we start chasing the rent that you're owed. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's what owners want. It's all about their cash flow. So now you can guarantee that you're taking certain steps. Where before, you meant well, but you couldn't guarantee it. Mm -hmm. Now we have tech that will, the fourth of every month, any tenant with a certain balance, start the process. Mm. I mean, and tell me more about that follow-up. When did the human re-get involved in that specific example? So in our process, we have, you know, the gradual series of communications like, oh, we know that you, life's busy, you probably already sent the rent, but just as a reminder and that it progressively gets more serious. 
the handoff from that process to eviction is where the human gets involved. It's somebody's actually got to put the notice on the door. The tech can create the notice, can mail the notice, but somebody's got to put it on the door. And then there's the handoff to the attorney and having that uh, kind of, we call it a pre-conference meeting with the attorney going over, you know, what do we know? What's the case? How's the tenant? Do we think there's any defenses they may have? Um, and then from there, it's a matter of just calendar dates and go off from there. So, What about lease renewals? What's some of the magic you have going on over there? Lease renewals, we have messaging that goes to an owner asking them what they'd like to do. We do a lot of uh, single family residential and maybe the owner wants to sell. And depending on their ownership, it's not as easy in California just to say, hey, you know, tenant, you've been great, but you got to go. We want to sell. There's a lot of steps in some cases. Uh, so asking that owner input without even really physically asking them. So the process starts every day. We check for any leases that are 103 days from expiration. The owner automatically gets an email, lets them know, hey, this property is coming up. What are your plans? Do you want to renew or not? They click a cup, one of two links. That then drives it to the next stage. We have some steps. We're working on um, getting market rents in a more consistent way without humans. So vendor that we're looking at for that and going through all those steps, counting you know, how many times was the tenant late, that's automated, how many lease violations, and then sending an email to the owner saying, hey, based on what we know, done an inspection, here's the copy of the report, our recommendation is X, mm -hmm. yes or no. And then that drives it to the next stage. Mm -hmm. So you can literally at 8 a.m., the process is starting on renewals and we're already getting emails back that it's been updated because the, the owner selected what they'd like to do. I really like the high, the point that you highlighted earlier, which is that a lot of this stuff isn't a good use of people's time. Mm -hmm. What is a good use of people's time? I know you have a vision for using the tech so that right. you can enable something else. What's the something else? Relationship building. So if positive relationship building, because if the only time your owner hears from you is when you need money or something's broken, not really healthy. No, they're, not great. They're gonna, oh my gosh, it's, you know, the property manager's calling again, they see the caller ID. So we wanna free up our staff so that they can spend time calling owners and just checking in, how's life? You interested in buying more, just how are the kids, whatever it may be. So because we've freed up a lot of those um, admin tasks, a property manager, she has on her weekly tasks every day, she's to call one owner and just check in. Mm. It's not about I need money or approve this or that, it's just how's life. And then our resident coordinator, he's calling one tenant a day, same thing. And they have the time to do that, mm. capture those notes and you know see what comes from there. But it's, they're now invest, you know, our staff is now investing their time in that owner, that tenant, building that relationship. So if they ever think of buying or selling, or they have questions, they're going to come to us. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about quality of life for the staff and what this is going to do for them. That's another thing that comes up a lot is folks feeling threatened, confused, saddled with, with extra work. What's in this for me? I got to learn a new system. What's the upside? And if the upside isn't obvious, then it really is just compliance of like, you're doing this because I'm telling you to. Right. How do you think about what that conversation looks like to where it's a win-win-win for everybody, including all the staff? So uh, I'll answer that with one of my failures in life. Uh, 
we used to use Podio and we're going to automate everything. And one of our team members that's not as high up in the food chain, for lack of a better word, uh, performance really started suffering and attitude was really changing. And finally just had to have the, what the heck's going on conversation. And through that dialogue surfaced that felt threatened that their job's going away and they really needed this job. And it's like, no, we're not going to fire you. We're just trying to free up so you can do other things. And it's like, she asked, well, why didn't you tell me that? Mm. I don't know. I didn't feel like I had to. And so then I really was that aha of when you bring in new tools or make those changes, how does it impact your team? And not just make life easier, but are they going to feel threatened? Are they going to feel he's trying to eliminate me? Because when somebody's implementing change, you're going to have staff members that throw up walls and obstacles. And if you don't resolve those, you're not going to make progress. I mean, nobody wakes up, how can I screw Wolf's company? I, you know, not even competitors, right? So your team's not having those thoughts. So when they're throwing up roadblocks, what's the real reason? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we don't communicate the why enough. Why are we bringing on this Mm -hmm. new tool? Why are we going through this strenuous process of trying to document everything? And so they just think, oh, it's one more thing they're throwing at me. And we didn't take the time to communicate the why. Mm. Let them know, hey, we're doing this so that you could actually have more time. You mentioned that you want to get to know the owners better. We need to do this so that you now have time to call one owner a day. So join me as we go through this so that we can get to this end point. If it's just, hey, we're implementing Lead Simple, well, why? I'm, things are going great for me teaching that why, sharing it with them. And I don't think that's unique to small business. I mean, you have kids, they want to know the why. They're always asking why. What's the vision? Yeah. I mean, what's the vision? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? So it's, I think with your staff, bringing them into that conversation and not just you now will do this, this is the why. And sometimes the why is we would like to make more money. And I think we're scared to have that conversation because, well, they find out we want to make more money. They're going to ask for raises. Maybe, you know, you can't control that, but why are they asking for a raise? Are they underpaid or whatever it may be? Again, what's the why of making more money? Why does your company need to make more money? Well, we want to, we want to have scholarships. We want to give back. We want to invest, whatever it may be. There's a way to include your team at all levels that's not going to create problems. You don't have to share everything. You know, like there's some companies that share their P&L with their whole staff. They may not get in every detail, but they break it down in categories. You know, this is what we spend on marketing or, you know, whatever. That's about communicating that why. Mm. So you brought up the the money, the revenue. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. One of the interesting things about a few maxing conversation is that not all dollars are created equally. The dollars vary based on the impression it makes to the client, the level of value that it creates, the level of buy-in you have, the cost basis associated with an additional dollar of revenue, the ability to collect the revenue. And that last one is interesting because we're talking about dollars that are yours. They're owed to you. It was in your management contract, and yet you may not be collecting it. One of the reasons is process. Another one of the reasons is staff staff resistance of they don't they don't believe in it so they yeah. don't necessarily want to charge it can you talk to me a little bit about um error reduction and standardization specifically 
with that revenue piece? Have you seen any gains there either with yourself or with clients? Absolutely. So you could have 300 fees in your agreement. You know, you have behavioral fees, you have just all these fees, but if you don't have a way to ensure that you can collect them every time you're owed them, what difference does it make? Mm -hmm. Right? So an easy one, most people charge some type of lease renewal fee. Well, you've renewed the lease, you got everything going. How did you make sure that you charge that fee? Some of the property management softwares like Affolio, for example, it's now automated. It's, it's automatically going to do it. But how, how do you know? Do you have a step? Are you, are you collecting it? What percent of lease renewals are you collecting that fee? Do you even know how to track that number? Mm -hmm. Right? So if you can put in your process, you know, lease violations or NSF, whatever it may be, having a, an explicit step that says charge GL account four four two five twenty five dollars NSF fee, and this is what you put in the description. If you don't have that, you're not going to be a hundred percent of the time. So if somebody's eating that, right? Your bank charges you a fee. You're going to be eating that. Well, it's only twelve dollars. Well, that adds up, mm -hmm. right? So making sure that you're consistent in collecting those fees. The other one is with the staff. So we have a staff member who um, runs a property, not from us, but is a, is a tenant and is hesitant in charging fees because she sees herself in that situation. Mm -hmm. Empathy. And, yeah. And let her know, like, it's great to have empathy. But again, this is why we have these fees. Mm -hmm. right? she, she knows the why. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job at collecting what's owed us, but not trying to squeeze every bit of juice out of everybody. Mm -hmm. Not saying that that's bad or good. It's just as a company, sure. that's a decision we've made that we want to provide genuine value and receive compensation for that, and we're not going to go after every every last dollar. Yeah, yeah. people need some breathing room, so that helps. But again, teaching the why, explaining like, look, this fee is what pays for this. Mm -hmm. You know, you like driving and serving a notice and. Mm -hmm. who's going to pay for your gas. That's what this fee compensates for. Okay, that makes sense. Let's talk about some of the shifts in the industry that mm -hmm. relate to tech. You're an interesting character to me because your skill set allows you to take advantage of technology in a way that is not that dissimilar to what a much larger player would do. And that's part of the beauty about technology is that it's democratized. Yeah. If you're handy enough, if you have enough skill, you can stitch things together that is not that far from the equivalent outcome for somebody else that hired 20 developers and spent a couple of years building something. What have you, what changes and shifts have you seen in terms of how much leverage people can get combining retail solutions as contrasted against the bigger players that are coming in and, you know, the ideas that they're going to disrupt and they're going to have these developers and they're going to rebuild that folio inside their own. Yeah company, et cetera. Tell me how you, how you relate to that value prop and like how the landscape has shifted for you over the last couple of years. So in general, it's gotten easier to stitch things together. You know, uh, we use Zapier and we've been with using Zapier now for over 12 years. You know, I don't, I don't know how long and when it first came out, it was, it was pretty nerdy. Like it wasn't what you see is what you get. And it was still click and drag, but like you kind of had to know some code and you had to really hack things together. Now it's super user-friendly. Like my mom is even using Zapier, which if you knew my mom is, it's a miracle. Um, but 
it's gotten easier. So now that the bar's being raised as a company owner, what do you mean you're not doing these certain things, right? Clients expect a lot more. And if you can't provide that, they're going to go somewhere else. The issue with a company that's like, you know, we're going to hire a fleet of developers. We're going to build out this custom solution. One, it costs a fortune. Two, you run into that uh, sunk ship paradigm of like, well, we're so committed. We got to stick with it. We know that this other solution is probably better, but we spent months and years and tens of thousands of dollars. We're committed. When you take retail solutions and put them together, you can pivot much quicker. So if you identify the market shifting, there's a trend, hey, there's this new provider. Let's see how we can get them to talk. They've already spent the time and the resources to build their solution. I'm just going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And so it uh, allows you to be nimble. I think in property management, being flexible is key. You know, Post-COVID, all the regulations, and even in states where they thought uh, none of that pro-tenant stuff's going to touch us, it's now touching them. Being flexible is extremely important and using tech. For example, our family's company covers two different counties. Each county in California now is starting to come out with its own rules, and now each city is starting to come out with its own rules. To try to keep track of that in your head is, I won't say impossible, I'm sure there's somebody that could do it, but is just prone for human error. Now, with tech in our process, Oh, it's in this city. Now we add these additional steps. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's in this housing authority. We add these additional steps. Mm -hmm. We don't need to ask the owner this because it's not it's not a requirement. So that allows us to provide a better experience. But more importantly, um, you could have a checklist that has every option, but then your staff is, gets used to, oh, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do that. It doesn't apply. That's where errors are going to happen. Only show the tasks that are important at this specific time for this specific property in this situation. You know, one of the things that's not obvious is the compounding complexity of managing in different markets. Not the logistical distance, uh, but really what you're talking around the regulation, the edge cases. Yeah. Different, and particularly if you're dabbling in different asset classes, a little single family, a little multi, a little commercial that can quickly mushroom out of control. What are some examples of standardization and streamline, streamlining that doesn't have to do with technology, but it's a policy issue? Mm -hmm. What counsel do you have for folks around how they can streamline their policies, which would then flow into process execution? Absolutely. So I think the biggest one is to nail down, speaking about property management, what do we want to manage? There's a lot of cool things, and yeah, we could do this. Oh, this person's got 200 doors, but we really have never done multifamily. How hard could it be? Just stick to one area. You know, we only want to manage develop this one type expertise of property, and just this is what we're gonna do, and just double down on it. Having a policy like that, for example, we don't manage properties with swimming pools. Mm. That's a policy. The why is we don't want the liability, the maintenance, whatever it may be. So now when we do our marketing, filter out. Out of all these properties in this market area, we're filtering out everything with the pool. That's our policy. I don't I didn't need any tech for that. It's you know, mm -hmm. it's not gonna change that, but the policy is now gonna make it easier for a property onboarding process. I don't have to ask, does it have a pool? Does it not have a pool? I just I simplified it. So 
looking at your policies to really narrow, this is the type of service we're gonna provide for this type of asset class to this type of owner. It's gonna help you reduce errors. You don't have to worry about all the what ifs because you've kind of eliminated them mm -hmm. and it's gonna make life easier. The government is doing a great job at creating policies that we now have to follow. Not saying they're good policies, they're just creating lots of policies that is um, kind of narrowing down the type of service. What type of tenant can you say no to, not to? Um, you know, so people are having to adjust their policies because they've had, for example, we don't do Section 8. And I think that's a big one right now. And in some states, that's no longer optional. So how are you going to adjust your policy? How are you going to adjust your screening policy around that? Oh, you're saying in some states the policy itself is not allowed. Yeah. You know, so if your company for the longest time has never um, worked with a certain type of property or tenant or whatever it may be, and now all of a sudden you have to, you're going to have to adjust your policy. And guess what that means? Adjusting your process. Mm -hmm. Those two are directly connected. Everybody wants to start working on their processes. They want to start on the tech because they think that's going to fix everything. And then they realize, well, I need some process. But really, well, what are your actual policies? Mm -hmm. Do you have them written down? Does your staff know what is the policy around late rent? Do they know all these different pieces? If they don't, how can you build a process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the clarity on policy transcending process and getting really clear there. With the regulation that you're describing, additional complexity there, it's blooming, changing over time, hard to keep up with. As you said, irrespective of how you feel about the wisdom or the merit of the policies, how do you feel about the business impact? Does this make what you do stickier? Does this make your job harder? If it does make your job harder, is that offset by the fact that it's making everybody's job harder, which therefore makes a stronger case for property management. What's the business impact to you? So this morning when I was looking at my uh, crystal ball, uh, what I was the thought that came to me was, I think in certain markets you're going to see less accidental landlords. I think it's it's going to thin out the herd because, well, it's just one rental. We inherited it. However, they came across mm -hmm. it. Like you know what? I've heard some horror stories. Uh, during COVID, my friend couldn't get rent for two years. Like, let's just sell it. So I think there's going to be less less inventory landlords, definitely less inventory. And you're going to see more true investors. The scary part is you start getting those those large institutional investors. They do things in-house usually. It's more efficient, more control. Mm -hmm. Eventually, if not at first. Yeah. So as a, a small business that provides management services, how do we change how do we provide a better service and for us we're looking at how can we help our investors be better investors how can we provide more information more clarity on their property how can we have more opportunities to talk with them and again that's changing their policy and then tweaking the process and that's where having those phone calls started we realized you know what our clients are going to want more. They're going to want to have a, a stronger relationship. How can we do that? Mm. Well, we're going to check in more frequently. The next thing that we're working at is, um, I remember growing up as a kid, my dad would get these uh, financial reports. I don't remember from where, but they were nice bound um, folios, and it was really special. I think it was probably from the CPA. Okay, how can we do something similar to that for our clients? You know, it's quality information. 
And so we're working on a process for that now. Because mm. I think that's what's going to be needed. It's it's going to be too hard to just be an accidental landlord. Mm. Owning one house, yeah, you might have some equity growth. And I know there'll be people that disagree with that. That's fine. But is a juice worth the squeeze? And I, in certain states, I don't think it is anymore. One of the things I've observed about you is that you have a strong connection to your local community. How do you think about property management and being embedded, involved, and impacting the community that it's in? I think property managers have a great opportunity to improve their communities. You know, for us, I want you to be able to drive by one of our rentals and not know that it's a rental. That impacts whole neighborhoods, you know, uh, it pride of ownership, all those, all those different things put into play. But then more importantly, how can I help people go from a tenant to an owner that impacts community. And then the next level, which is the harder one, is how can I be part of that policy making? How can I help educate people about rent control, for example, and let them know how it works and what are the pros, what are the cons? Um, I think as, as property managers, we, you know, we've realized that we're the gatekeeper for this asset. I think most people realize that, but we're also the ones helping to build community because for every door you have, there's some tenants. How can you help them plug into your community? How can you help them feel vested in their community? People want to fight crime. They want to fight homelessness, war on drugs, whatever it may be. That all starts person to person. And for us, building community is really important, whether it's formally serving in Rotary or helping other small businesses through the chamber or just picking up trash, you know, on a Saturday. This it's uh, for me. Profit comes in different forms. There's the money side, but then there's also how can I help the community be profitable, better place. So, so you're third generation in the business. Do you think that that impacts some of the sensibilities that you're describing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, when people hear that, they're like, oh, well, you were just given this business and our families, each generation had to kind of build up their own book of business. There was nothing handed to you other than the experience. The opportunity. To do the opportunity. But uh, for me, knowing that coming from a family of immigrants, they wanted the American dream. This is what they built. Continuing that and then helping other people accomplish the same thing. Um, I really strongly believe that small business has a great opportunity to fix a lot of the problems that we see in society, whether it's financial contributions, helping serving your community, et cetera. But we, as a small business, you learn how to organize, you learn how to lead you, all these things. How can you bring that to your community? So that's awesome. We're going to do it. I love that. There's, look how many small businesses there are. If, if each small business just said, you know what? Our company goal is we're going to do two hours of service a month. Mm, mm. How could that change the city? Mm. Adopt the spot, whatever it may be. We're, we're just going to give two hours close your office for two hours and go do something as a team mm. makes your city better. Yeah. And it doesn't, there's so many different things of what it could be yeah. and what's going to resonate with you. What's going to resonate with your staff. What's what, your why? What's your why? What I love about that, there's a phrase that I borrow frequently from my buddy, Steve Wealthy, which is mm -hmm. the idea of dealer's choice. Yeah. The idea that it's all made up. And if you say we matter, we're impacting things. It's probably true. And if you say we don't matter, Nobody cares. We ain't impacting nothing. That's probably true too. <laughs> That's right. It is. You find what you're looking for in that regard. 
One of the things that I've seen you doing in the community more broadly is having a conversation about systems and processes. I'm curious some of the learnings and some of the insights that you've gained as you've had that dialogue with folks and you've seen folks, some folks really thrive, bloom, get over that hump and they're, they're getting the, they're achieving the vision that you're describing. Other folks are coming up against it and they're banging their heads and they're coming to the conclusion that what you're talking about, that it doesn't actually work. Yeah. It's, it's all made up, you know, good for you. Wouldn't work for me. Talk to me a little bit about that story, that dialogue and what it feels like when you're working with people that are somewhere in that nexus. It's frustrating. Sometimes it's painful because you can see they're going through some pain that like, you know what? I was in that seat four years ago. And I can help you get out of that. Help me help you. And they throw up the excuses. Oh, I don't have the time. That's probably the big, I don't have the time to do it. Well, when are you going to have the time? Mm -hmm. Tomorrow never comes. Um, helping people realize that the tech isn't what helped me. It was, I rolled up my sleeves and I, I went through this process. You can do it too. Everybody can do it. And ultimately that person has to decide, I want to do it or I, I don't. There are people that literally have massive heart attacks in America. Their doctor says, you got to cut out fatty foods, quit smoking, whatever it may be, or you're going to die. And they can't change. So if, you, if your own health and your own life isn't enough of a motivator, me telling you, hey, you can make a few more bucks, you can make life easier, you could cut down the hours you work, you got to want it. I mean, there, there's just, there's no shortcut. Doesn't mean you have to go it alone. Mm. Doesn't mean that there aren't people who've already done it that mm. you can benefit mm. from, but you have to do it. You know, a really interesting thought I'm loving and exploring in my life right now, a couple of them. One is the idea that I am causing or tolerating all of the results in my life. I find that very empowering. The other day, other idea I find really interesting is that I'm getting something out of the results in my life that I say I don't want. The thing I'm complaining about, bitching about, I'm getting something from it or else I wouldn't engage in behaviors that keep producing it in my life. It follows the previous idea. Yeah. There's something to be gotten out of being busy and running ragged. And all the answers come from me and all these people are asking me things, et cetera. Yeah. What's your thought there? What do you, what do you think it, it, people get out of that? So for me, being the center, the source of all the answers, there was an ego stroke, feeling important, feeling smart. You know, everybody wants to be something. And so that, that's how I got that fixed. You know, I was you a school it. teacher. And there was a school administrator. And now out of that, you don't have a classroom with Mr. Krosky, Mr. Krosky. And so you're like, I got to get that high. And so this is one way of doing it. I think for other people, they, um, well, you're a small business owner, right? And looking busy mm -hmm. means you're successful. Mm -hmm. You're working hard. You're working hard. I'm grinding it. I'm, I'm the entrepreneur. I'm working 90 hours a week. Where was it written that that was the definition of success? Right. But that's, I want to be that, I want to be, I want to fit that persona. And I really, I think it comes down to confidence. You know, like we were talking earlier, I drove down here to broker owner, no radio, no audible, no nothing. Mm. Just thinking and doing. Mm. Um, 
I think people don't have the confidence in trying to be who they really want to be. And so because of that, I got to fill some other, some other image that society has created. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, that's a scary thought I think for people, but it, it, it's it, easy to be busy. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm being productive. I'm doing, my company must be progressing cause I'm always busy. Really? I had a similar thought the other day. I was listening to an audiobook. Instead of silence, I was listening mm-hmm. to an audiobook. And the thought that occurred to me listening to that specific book is that this is good advice. It's good sound advice. And it's not for me. This person's motivations and intentions at, will add value for themselves and for other people. But it's not exactly what I'm, what I'm aiming at. It's easy to get hijacked or guilt-tripped into somebody else's agenda for your life and your goals and how you should run your business. And it's really freeing to realize that it's all just dealer's choice. It's all made up. You can do it any way that you want. And really the yield is going to be to the degree to which you align with your own vision for yourself and for your life, depending on how clear that is. That'll determine how many sacrifices you're willing to make, including discarding the approval of people who want their vision for your life rather than your own. Yes. So why did you continue to listen to the audio audiobook? I, I, I turned it off. Okay. <laughs> I stopped listening at that yeah. point. I thought, yeah, this is this is great business advice. It just isn't for me. I'm not what I heard in the book was a certain level of pathology that's very familiar to me. It's like hustle culture, basically. Harder, better bigger, faster, no matter what, till the end, all the way. Are you all in 10 X, that sort of thing. (laughs) And I get that. And I can so appreciate that. Drink that Kool-Aid. And yet it's not, that's not the global maxima for me. The global maxima for me exists outside of business altogether. It's about the totality of my life, the relationships, what I'm trying to create, how I'm trying to show up. Business is a piece of it. And I want my experience in business to contribute to that broader thing as much as possible, realizing the business isn't the broader thing. There's a lot of freedom in that. And that's why I'm interested in this conversation in processes and systems. It's not just a bunch of novel tech and automations. It can help a subset of people to achieve what they're aiming at if what they're aiming at is bigger than just business outcomes. Yeah, because owning a business is freaking hard mm-hmm. and if that's your i just want to be a business owner and that's your why why you know so like you set a revenue goal for, as your company well why what are you going to do with that what are you going to do once you reach that why do, why do you need that money uh well that's just we gotta set a goal I, I think you know being a business owner may not get you a lot of things but one thing that gives you is freedom mm-hmm. and i know some people are like i don't have any freedom i'm tied to this job you still have that choice. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that freedom? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, we manage properties, but that's that's not what I want on my tombstone. Mm-hmm. He had 200 doors or he had 74 zaps, right? It's what, what are you building? How are you using this business as a vehicle? And for me, it's, again, I'm not going to say make the world a better place. That's a little Pollyanna, but just what is going to be my contribution to this society? And if it's, well, he had a really good, PMA agreement that I've totally failed. Like if I'm remembered for like, oh, he had so many great saps. Shoot. That was a mess. That that was it. Like, wow, Wolf had some great zaps. I'm like, dang, it's trying to do something better. Yeah. I think 
teaching your kids that too. Yeah. You know, that school really is a game. You want to talk about dealer's choice. That That's public education. But this is a game you have to play because you want to do X. Mm. Mm. What, what is that X? Mm. So I, the challenge I would give business owners out there is why are you really going through hell as a business owner? Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why are you dealing with HR issues? Why all that drama that can hit you as a business owner? Why are you going through that? And, and it's a real question. Why? Yeah. Because the, if there is a why that's big enough, you can be willing to be transformed by the process in pursuit of the vision. You mentioned the why and the money earlier. Why do I need the extra money? Well, I'll tell you why for me, because well, if I am money motivated, mm-hmm. I want the revenue, but I want the revenue as a proxy for having a kind of experience and a goal that's so big that I have to say, I don't know how to do that. This version of me doesn't know how to do that, but I believe I could become the person Mm -hmm. that's capable of figuring that out. But that why still in the end is not the money. The money is a proxy. The money is a, a means of chasing a goal worthy enough that I can be transformed by the process in order to get to a why that is secondary and bigger of that. The why is who I'm becoming, what I have to offer my friends, my family, what I'm modeling, uh, what I'm willing to put myself through and and who I'm really becoming. Yeah. And that that's that's great. That's my why. That that's right. And so other people, how how do you get your why? I mean, because there's I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, business owners, wherever you whatever label you want to go by, you've had that moment of do I do more marketing or do I feed my kids? Do I do I take a client out to dinner because I think it's going to build a relationship, even knowing that, you know, maybe the lights get shut off? Whatever that scenario is, I think people have been at that moment of, do I take one more step on this journey or do I go back to safety? Whatever it may be. If you're not willing to have that, I don't think you have a strong enough why. You know, it's dealer's choice, right? Your, your why. If you believe that you can do it, you will do it you will go through going back to processes. If you truly believe that you mm-hmm. want to have this mm-hmm. business, there is pain in right. documenting processes. Right. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's right. time. It's stressful. People complain about it. Suck it up. You, you got to do it. And if you're not, if your why is not strong enough to carry you through that, you need a new why. Love that. Let's end it there. Wolf, I appreciate everything that you're doing in the industry, the way that you're contributing to the evolution of the conversation in this space. And brother, I'm happy to be on this journey with you. Same here. I really appreciate it. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.